The Way BK podcast is dedicated to pursuing and promoting a true understanding of Jesus Christ and the transformation he provides for all who submit to him to live in a way that is pleasing to God as revealed in the Bible. Let's join our hosts as they discuss The Way. All right, welcome back, everybody. We're continuing our new series in the Gospel of Mark, talking about following the way of Jesus. And uh, we've gone through chapter 1, and we're, we're kind of in the same flow as we come into Mark chapter 2, where Jesus is um, having his sort of initial interactions, I'd say, still with people. Like, people right. still aren't quite sure what they think about him. They're still kind of exploring him, checking him out. And he's calling disciples to himself. And the two stories we're going to look at today in Mark chapter 2 focus on a particular theme. And there's uh, other details we're going to getting into and probably some different kinds of take-home ideas that come with this. But the theme is forgiveness from sin. Uh, both of the stories we're going to look at deal with Jesus interacting with sinners and uh, the importance of forgiveness and healing from sin. So I thought we should probably start just with talking about those two words, sin and forgiveness, kind of defining them, thinking about what they mean, why they're so important, not only here in these stories and not only in the Gospel of Mark or in the Gospels themselves, but pretty much cover to cover in the Bible. So let's start with sin. If we're explaining to somebody what is sin, what does it mean to be a sinner, how should we talk about that? How should we think about that? So I remember hearing when I was young, uh, sin is missing the mark. Right. Yeah, the yeah. idea is like the idea is that God has a uh, a path, and we've fallen off of it. Um, and so, the, so when we think about sin, what we ought to think about is disobedience, unrighteousness. God has a right way of doing things. We've chosen to go the wrong way. We've uh, we've disobeyed God and uh, been disloyal to. Uh, to his instructions. There's a target for how your life is supposed to go. That's right. And whenever you don't go the way God wants you to go, you're going to miss that target. You're going to be off. That's right. And, uh, and that's a, that is the cause for every bad consequence that we have in the world. Whenever we look throughout Scripture, you start from Genesis chapter 3 and just move through the Bible. Every single problem that exists within human lives, in the world, for the, the everything, is because of sin. So this is the problem, and we're going to see Jesus interacting with that and dealing with that. So paired with sin is the notion of forgiveness, and I guess I'll just kick us off with how should we should think about forgiveness. Um, to forgive is to say, hey, you owe me a debt, but I'm going to treat you as if you don't owe me that debt. Uh, in other words, the debt is paid for. Not even I'm going to hold that over your head. That's not really forgiveness. That's uh, guilt-tripping somebody or right. manipulating somebody. That's not really forgiveness. And there's a story in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus talks about this in Matthew 18, if you want to check it out, where uh, he tells a story that depicts the notion of saying, hey, you owe me this great debt, all is forgiven, it's over. Actually, that's a, a kind of a conversation in our culture, debt forgiveness right. is, it's over. You don't have to pay that thing. Even though you actually do owe it, it's forgiven. You don't have to worry about it, it's over. And that's, uh, that's what Jesus is going to be talking about today. And there's going to be some controversy surrounding that. There's going to be some important stuff that Jesus is going to teach us about the, the notion, the nature of forgiveness and how forgiveness comes from him. But it's such an important thing. And I think that's something besides just the kind of clinical idea of what is sin, what is forgiveness, these stories help us see the, the depth and the importance of forgiveness from sins. That's right. And ultimately, Jesus is going to show that what we need above all else because we have sinned yeah. is uh, is for God, for God to remove that sin, which he does through forgiveness. God is not holding against us the, the wrongs that we have committed. Um, yeah. If sin is our biggest problem, then forgiveness is our biggest need. 
Right. Right. If sin is the thing that causes every other problem in the world, then uh, what we're really looking for and what we really need more than anything else is uh, is forgiveness of sins. So with that in mind, we need to just uh, kind of dive on in here to the text and see what, what happens in these stories. We'll read these stories separately. We'll read Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, talk about what happens in this story, how Jesus interacts with the people, how the people respond to him, what we learn about the forgiveness of sins here, and then we'll uh, we'll take a break and, and then go into chapter 2, verse 13 through 17. So Mark 2, 1 to 12. It says, And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. All right, so uh, clearly forgiveness is the issue at hand. As we see, Jesus gives forgiveness uh, to this man, and then there's a big discussion about whether Jesus has the authority to forgive, et cetera, and we'll get into maybe all the details of that. Uh, but kick the story off. What do you see in the initial scenes here as this uh, paralyzed man comes to Jesus, the setting, the situation for Jesus, for this man? Uh, what are we looking at here? Well, there's a lot of things about this story that are shocking. Um, and the first one to me is... Uh, is the um, these these four friends who bring this mm-hmm. guy to Jesus? So obviously at this point Jesus is becoming quite popular. Um, so the place is crowded, so many people that uh, that you can't even get into the to house, and uh, and yet there's these four friends who've got a guy who's in need, he's paralyzed, and they carry him there, and they get there and like, hey, you know, I, I'm thinking if I'm one of those guys, like, hey, this is. I guess we came on the wrong day. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow. Um, this is tough. Uh, I wish we could get you inside. We really wanted you. To, wanted to help you, but we can't do it. Um, and that's the, That's how the story ends. These guys are serious, man. They, right. they go up on the roof. They tear the roof off and lower this man down. I mean, I'm thinking about Proverbs, man. There's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. These are that kind of friend, like willing to tear somebody's house up just to get you down into. Yeah. Uh, in to be able to get into the presence of Jesus. I, I love that, that notion. I mean, I love just imagining this scene, just being there, just being in this crowd mm. while Jesus is teaching, um, which is probably something good for us to note. I think we've talked about this in, in some of our previous conversations, but uh, it's no surprise to us what Mark tells us, that Jesus is there, a big crowd comes. What does he do? He's like, all right, time to preach again. Mm-hmm. First introduction to Jesus in chapter 1, verse 14, 15, he's preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God. Uh, he goes in the synagogue in Mark one twenty one. He's teaching with authority, unlike anything that people had ever heard. Um, in verse 38 of chapter 1, whenever all the people were coming for healings, and Peter says, hey, they're looking for you, and Jesus says, we're going to the other towns because, to preach, because that's why I came. That's what it's all about, and here we see him doing that. 
And he's going to take this moment and this uh, healing, he's going to use as a platform for teaching. But anyway, you're there in the house while Jesus is preaching and teaching, and then a little clump of whatever, the the dirt or the, the uh, you know, whatever materials were used on the top of to cover the thatched roof, or whatever yeah, it was yeah. in this particular house, however it was designed, uh, hits the floor. And you look up and you see the light coming through, and these guys are ripping it open. You just got to imagine the quiet, and somehow the crowd cleared out enough for them to lower it down. Before there was no room, but now there's room for him to come in. As shocking as that would have been, that these men tear this house up to get their friend in, even more shocking would be to hear this rabbi from Nazareth to say, not rise up and walk. Clearly, that's not why the guy came, was because he was paralyzed. But, son, your sins are forgiven. So there's a shock, and we'll talk more about these guys in just a second. You know, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, and they're thinking, whoa, 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 what are you doing? How dare you? Only God has the right to do that. So they're shocked by this. No doubt the people were shocked at just the event. We've got the roof getting torn off. I'm, it doesn't seem to me this was a normal occurrence. So a roof getting torn off to lift a minute. And then no doubt the man's friends and he himself are shocked by Jesus' response. I kind of imagine the friends thinking, okay. It's not exactly what we came for here. Right. We could have just come and asked you to forgive him. That's what we were looking for. We didn't even think that was upon the table. So this is a surprising thing, of course. But I think Jesus does it on purpose to elevate here in one of the earliest stories Mark records for us that this is what it's all about. I came to forgive sins. I came to liberate y'all from the death of your sins. You need forgiveness. And here I am uh, bringing it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm just thinking about Oftentimes, what we want from Jesus yeah. is not what we most need. And uh, you have to think when this guy's showing up, he's thinking, hey, if I could only have my legs healed, you know, everything's going to be okay in life again. And think about how often we do that. I mean, think about how many people come to New York um, thinking, if I could only get this job, if I could only make this much money, if I could only, if I could only you know, um, make it in this field or mm-hmm. this... Uh, you know, uh, if I can only have my dream, you know, uh, dream job, right. uh, everything's going to be okay. I think Jesus here is showing this man, actually, what you want so desperately from me is not what you most need. Yep. I actually, I formed you. I know you, you know. Right. I, I know what your needs are. Um, and, uh, and I'm not going to let you walk out of here uh, and find out how heartbreaking life can be. Because think about it. I mean, this guy goes back... He gets his, imagine Jesus heals his legs. He goes home, he lives about his life. Eventually he's going to realize like, hey, that healing of my legs has not solved right. whatever's really going on inside of me. And, and so I believe Jesus here is, is really helping us to recognize that oftentimes, oftentimes what we're seeking from him may not be what we desperately need from him. Absolutely, yeah. Now he does heal the man. He does heal him, but there's a purpose with that, like all of Jesus' healings. And sometimes the purpose was, like we see at the end of chapter 1, Jesus felt compassion. He healed the man because he was compassionate toward him. Uh, we see that in Luke 7 with the, the raising of the, the widow's son at, at Nain. But anyway, in this one, Jesus does have a very specific purpose right. that uh, in, in the healing and the way he's done this. Okay, so he says the thing that no doubt Jesus knew. He could read the hearts of the people. It says that these, these religious leaders, they didn't say out loud, how dare he say that? Only God is allowed to forgive sins. They were reasoning in their hearts. And Jesus, he knew what was going on. He knew what was in men, um, even if we didn't know what was in him. And, uh, and so he says, well, why are you guys wondering about that? 
and y'all tell me. And basically, Jesus sets up the test. And I don't think the point. I don't think the point is which one is actually cosmically less complicated to forgive sins or to heal a paralytic. Sins are a bigger deal than being paralyzed. Right. But I think Jesus' point is which one is uh, a more a more difficult to prove. It's easy to say your sins are forgiven because you can't really prove that. I right. could just run around and say your sins are forgiven, 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 and you can't prove whether or not that's true. But one thing you can test out is if I say to a paralyzed person, rise up and walk, if they do rise up and walk, then I got, I'm cooking. I got, I got something from God. And so that's, that's the setup that Jesus says. Basically, Jesus is saying, hey, y'all don't think that I have the right to forgive sins. Okay, fair enough. How about this? If I can just say to this man who is paralyzed, which not only means that his nervous system's all out of whack and none of his muscles and bones are working in concert, but also no doubt his limbs had atrophied. I mean, those of you who know or maybe yourselves have had surgeries and so forth that make you lie in a hospital bed for even a week or two, you get up and you're like, oh, I'm weak. Imagine months, years of that. And so for Jesus to say, rise up and walk, all that healing happens instantaneously, and it does. There's no mention here that the paralyzed man struggled and, and it took a while and people had to help him to his feet. He pops up and he picks up the bed that he was on. So not only that, but all of his muscle, everything is restored in him immediately by Jesus. And he walks out and everyone says, we've never seen anything like this, ever. Right. Never seen anything like it. And Jesus' point with this is, hey, if I can do this, if I can heal someone, if I can restore someone physically, then I can restore them spiritually with the forgiveness of sins. Y'all need to pay attention to what I've got to say. I can fix your biggest problem. I've come to tell you about your biggest problem, sin and your need for forgiveness, and I can provide for the need of that forgiveness if you'll just listen to me. Yeah, and this is another reminder. We saw this, I think, in the last episode, but um, this is another reminder that uh, Jesus is not the kind of teacher who just says, hey, come follow me because I said so. You know, like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a prophet. I'm a teacher of God. Um, so, so listen to my word. Yeah, that's right. With everything that Jesus says, he provides evidence to, uh, to prove that what he's saying is actually true. All right, you want to know that I can forgive sins? Here's how you know. Watch this man who has been paralyzed for so long. Get up, stand up, and walk. Um, and when you see that, see the act being done, it proves that actually what he's saying is actually for real. Um, so I, th- I love this story because it, it, Jesus not only gives the man what he needs, but he gives the people what they need, which is evidence right. evidence that he really has that power to fix the problem of sin in their lives. Yeah, I think that's right. Before we pivot to the next story, I think it's good for us to pause right here and, and see, okay, what's, what's maybe a, a, a take-home lesson, a, a principle we learn here that guides us as we want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Um, and while this may be not exactly... Um, I mean, we want to be forgiving people like Jesus, but we can't forgive sins like Jesus can. We can forgive others for what they do to us. But the main thing that, that sparks all this, what the text says there, is it uh, in verse 5, I think? Yeah, when Jesus saw their faith, mm-hmm. he said to the paralytic, and you kind of alluded to this earlier, that what we see here is the importance of faith in friendship, right. uh, having friends of faith. Uh and I, I presume the man had faith, too. I don't know. Maybe right. they took him kicking and screaming, metaphorically, uh, to, to come. But I presume he had faith, too. So Jesus sees faith in all these men, these four men and presumably the paralytic who come. Uh, what if the man didn't have those faithful friends? He'd be lying in his house. No forgiveness, no healing. Right? But because he has these friends of faith who bring him to Jesus, uh, that changes everything for him. Right. And so for us, I think there's a good lesson here. Okay, number one, I need to be looking for... People in my life who will be 
um, friends to me who are people of faith. Everybody's going to get friends on some level, even if it's you just have one or two or whatever. Everybody has some kind of friendships in their lives. Uh, but too often we find friends who help us in our careers, help us in uh, finding new dating partners or just people that share the same hobbies or interests. A real friend is somebody who's has faith in Jesus, who shares faith in Jesus, and will bring you to Jesus. That's and right. so that's one side of this I think that's really important is finding friends that are people of faith. Also on the other side, being a friend who's a person of faith. That's right. Who, Whenever my friend is in trouble, what's the way to help them? It's not me just listening to them or commiserating with them or pointing them to some worldly source of help, but I bring them to Jesus. I say, hey, here's the solution over here. Come to Christ, listen to Him, pay attention to Him, be healed by Him. So I think we learn a lot here about the importance of uh, friends of faith That's right. in this story right here. Yeah, and, and we can do that uh, simply by listening to, uh, to the words of Jesus and letting Jesus teach us how to, how to actually help people in their desperate times of need. Jesus teaches us there, there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. Um, he, he shows us how to be that kind of friend. And so as we study him and as we learn about him, he's going to help us to become the kind of person who actually uh, can be a friend to people who are, who are truly in need. Absolutely. Which leads right in the next story. So let's read chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, as we see another story about people who are sinners in need of forgiveness. And we actually learn some more things about real friendship and how to be true friends in this. Mark chapter 2, verse 13. He went out again beside the sea, uh, which is the same scene where he first called his disciples in chapter 1. And all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. Surprise, surprise, again with him teaching. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners." Tax collectors and sinners, that's who we're working with here uh, in this scene. Let's start there. What's the perception, what's the thought about tax collectors? Matthew being one of them, Levi uh, in this right. text, Matthew is his other name. Um, tax collectors and sinners, let's go. Well, these are bad dudes uh, for a couple of reasons. Like first, you know, they're, they're in a very corrupt, um, a very corrupt... Uh, business. Business, yeah, that's it, <laughs> that's right. A corrupt sector here. Like the government is corrupt. So, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. so like they're involved in the corruption um, that, that is ongoing. So it, would, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't have been uncommon for them to cheat people. It wouldn't have been uncommon for them to overtax people, you know, um, to, to, to take advantage of, of people who are desperate and in need. Um, they're generally very wealthy right. uh, tax collectors. It's a lucrative field. But then on top of that, um, this guy named Levi, I mean, he, he's a Jew. Um, and he's working for... He's working for a foreign government, not not like our local Jewish uh, tax booth here. This is a foreign. These government. aren't temple taxes. That's right. Going to sacrifices or improving the uh, worship center or something. That's right. He's on. He's on the wrong team. He's on the team, the Babylonian team. You know, he's he's on the uh, the our oppressors. He's joined the oppressors. So imagine somebody being a Jew. And then selling out your nation, selling out your family to work for the people who are oppressing your family and your nation. 
And, and now you can understand just a little bit more of why um, people had a hard time with this. Yeah. You know, this is not the kind of guy um, you you'd expect religious people to be hanging out with. Yeah, and add to that that tax money that's going to Rome to Caesar. They're doing dirty stuff. I mean, right. wicked stuff, evil right. stuff. I mean, you read about the Caesars. This is well-known stuff in, in history books now. Like, just all the bad stuff Caesar doing, besides the fact that he's oppressing us. So for the for the pious person, it's like, ugh, you're working with those kind of people that do that kind of stuff? That doesn't even make any sense. Why would you keep on doing that? All right, so um, I just imagine, I don't know. This is not in the text, so this is Ben's imagination. It may be totally wrong. But I always imagine whenever they're walking by the sea and Peter, Andrew, James, and John are there with Jesus and then they come upon uh, the tax booth and and Jesus stops or slows down at least enough to say something to Levi. I just imagine thinking, yes, finally. I've been waiting for him to get these dudes. I hate these guys. I can't believe these traitors. And then Jesus says the same exact words to Levi, that dirty, rotten, I mean, we don't know. Levi could have actually been an honest guy. Who knows? But he would have been assumed to be a dirty, rotten That's sinner. Right. And I mean, he's a sinner just like everybody, but he may have been a, a more upstanding tax collector. Who knows? But but whatever. They would have thought him to be dirty and terrible and all that stuff by association. And Jesus looks at him, and he says the exact same words to Levi as what he said to Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Follow me. Come on. That must have been shocking, scandalizing, disturbing, confusing. Wait a second. Wait, 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 wait. We're on the same team. We're, we're in the same club here. And then it gets even worse because Jesus, Jesus says, follow me. And then at some point, Jesus turns and is like, hey, Levi, where's your house? That's where we're eating dinner tonight. And then we go to Levi's house. I would never go to this house. This is where bad people hang out. And then the bad people show up because it says there, many uh, tax collectors and sinners followed him, according to verse 15. This is terrible. This is a worst-case scenario. And then you got this scene where the Pharisees and scribes interact with Jesus' disciples to talk about this issue. Yeah, and it's pretty revealing, um, I guess you might say, for, uh, for the Pharisees in their hearts. But I think actually any of us, if we were there um, and hadn't, hadn't had a lot of time with Jesus, this would have been a shock to us. Like, right. hey, what are you doing? Right. Like, um, spending time with these people. If, you, if you're trying to build a kingdom here, if you're trying to bring the kingdom of God in, this is not the way to do it. Yes, yeah, is right. Um, it, and and, it, and it, it goes to show uh, something that is, is radically different about our God, which is um, we tend to think, and religion today generally tends to think of uh, dividing the world into good people and bad people. Jesus comes along and says, basically, you're all bad. Yeah. You're all sinners. Yeah. And I'm here. I'm the great physician. I'm the one who's come to actually help sick people. Uh, and, and therefore, I'm going to be spending time with people that you wouldn't expect. Right. People that you wouldn't want to sit down with. Jesus is sitting down, eat, eating with them, um, talking with them, and, and sharing God's word. Yeah, and calling them. Uh, Mark does include one little line, although it's implied right here. In Luke's account of this, in Luke chapter 5, this quote in verse 17 where Jesus says, I didn't come to call the righteous but sinners, Luke includes one in a little other little detail, sinners right. to repentance. That's right. So Jesus here is, is engaging with these people, not saying, oh, you're a lost cause. Just like a doctor doesn't just look for healthy people to come into his office. I'm not saying doctors are happy when we're sick, but that is what they're there for. They're right. looking for sick people to say, hey, come on in. Let me help you figure this out. Let me help you find some answers. Let me help you uh, find healing. 
Right. And that's this comes right back to our issue with sin, where it was reflected in the paralytic story. Here we see it again. Jesus says, this is my whole deal. I came here because y'all are in trouble, y'all are in sin, and you need healing from that. You that's need right. forgiveness for your sins. And I love here if there's a, um, and there's probably a number, but there's at least one important take home, and it's probably more strongly explicitly stated in Matthew's account of this story in Matthew 9, where whenever they say, what are you doing with these dirty, rotten people? Jesus says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And here Jesus' point, at least in part, is y'all are not um, committing to your love to your fellow man, and even here in this case, to your fellow covenant members in Israel, even if they are tax collectors and sinners and people who are messed up. God is a God who commits to this love, commits to mercy, commits to forgiveness, commits to compassion. And y'all have forgotten that. That's right. Yeah, Jesus said. I mean, Jesus never gets upset when people call him a friend of sinners, as far as I can tell. Whenever he quotes that, he's like, well, yeah, that is what I am. And part of that friendship is I call people to repentance. Part of that friendship is I sit down and break bread with sinners. Part of that friendship is I show mercy to these people who are in trouble. And I think that's the other, another good take-home for us. If we learn about the importance of faith in our friendships, both receiving people, uh, looking for people who are people of faith to influence us, and also uh, being an influence of faith, we also got to learn the importance of mercy in our right. friendships. Jesus, the thing that drew people to Jesus wasn't that he endorsed what they were doing. Clearly not, because he told them, follow me, not keep on doing what you're doing, or repent, not it's fine, the sins you're committing, don't worry about it. Um, it wasn't that Jesus endorsed everything people did, but he did show mercy to people. He showed them compassion. He showed them love. He said, hey, I care about you. And anybody who's ever come to follow Jesus, that's what drew us to him, is that there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. That's right. He's shown us mercy. And here he's calling us, if we're going to follow in his way, you go and learn what this means. You go and learn to show that same kind of mercy to others, even as I'm showing mercy to you. Well, and I'm just thinking, too, I mean... Uh that mercy for us, it, it's really shocking from Jesus. Like to, for Jesus to, to say, hey, I'm going to come down and spend time with these people. I mean, there's no motive that could motivate that except the love of God Absolutely. That, that, that would lead it. Because uh, for us, we have, an, we have an additional like incentive or an additional like obvious motive. Um, thinking about this, like the problem with the Pharisees in the story is that they didn't recognize themselves as yeah. the sinners yeah, sitting exactly. at the table. Exactly. It's not that they were healthy and they didn't need Jesus. And so Jesus is saying, hey, I'm not hanging out with you because you guys are already good. Y'all are fine. No, no, truthfully, they were desperately in need. And this yeah. is our problem, isn't it? Is that we we sometimes forget how desperately in need of God's mercy we are as his people. And we've forgotten how much forgiveness we've received. And therefore, we have a hard time extending it to other people, that yeah. same mercy. And I, I just think about, and we need to think about, you know, because many of us as followers of the way um, still have certain people that we're like, hey, not those people. Uh, certain neighborhoods, not those neighborhoods. Yeah. Certain certain areas, not those neighborhoods. Certain and, sins. Yeah. Some sins. That's right. Yeah. Other sins. Oh, no, yeah. I, can't, I can't abide. I can't that's get right. involved in that. That's right. Certain people with certain problems, that's not the people we're here to help. And this story is convicting, should be convicting to us, because it reminds us that actually, no, Jesus put us all in the same category. And he was a friend to all sinners. uh, And therefore, we need to learn. Uh, The church is not meant to be some sort of hotel, some sort of resort for the sake. The the, the church is meant to be a hospital, uh, a rehab, where we are rescuing people 
who are just as desperately, desperately lost and, and desperately uh, uh, caught up in sin as we were. And we're rescuing those people out of that. We're restoring them to help. We're, we're working with Jesus to renew them into everything God intended them to be. Yeah. And I think what you're describing right there is where we can put together these two, at least, I mean, there's certainly more lessons in these stories that we could learn. But the notion of uh, finding and being friends of faith and finding and being friends who are merciful, those two go hand in hand. That's right. If I really have faith, in the forgiveness that God gives through Jesus Christ. If I really have faith in his kindness, his goodness, his power, and how that's impacted my life, then that compels me to be merciful toward others. And also, as I exercise that mercy, I do it not out of some just innate sense of like, oh, this person looks like me, or they are like me, or they feel like me, but actually my mercy flows out of because of what I believe in God. And so I continue in that mercy, and I exercise that mercy in ways that are like Jesus because I believe in him. I trust in him. We've never seen anything like this, like the crowd says in Mark 2 and verse 12, and we're trying to do that same thing, to inhabit the the life of Jesus and the character of Jesus in all of our interactions so that as we live by faith, we'll enact his mercy in all of our relationships. And as we enact that mercy, it's done in a faithful kind of way. Amen. And and ultimately, that's what being a disciple of Jesus is all about. Yeah. Jesus is calling people to come follow him and come behind him and learn to be the same kind of friend that he was to them. Uh, so we're taking the things that Jesus has done for us, and then we're doing those same things for other people with the grace and the strength that he gives us. That's it. I guess uh, I got one more thought. You may want to tack on something before we wrap up here. Uh, we've been talking a lot from the vantage point of the person who is following Jesus already. This, these stories are also so vitally, uh, uh, have such a vital beauty for the person who's interested in Jesus or curious about Jesus but hasn't followed him. Yeah. Whatever you got wrong with you, he has the authority to, to address it if you'll come to him in faith. He has the power to take care of it. Uh, whatever's wrong with you that you would think would make you undesirable to him, those are his people. The undesirable people are the Jesus people, those who come to him and follow him. All you do is come. You come, you listen, you come, you uh, repent, you come, give your life to Jesus. He takes care of the rest from there. And that's not something that's just passive, like we do nothing. We are following him. Levi did have to get up from the tax booth, that's right. but he didn't have to be a perfect man. He didn't have to have it all figured out. We're going to see this. We keep going through the Gospel of Mark. All these closest of Jesus' followers, the ones he'll use to preach the Gospel of all nations, they have, they're incredibly complicated and messed up and still have sin all the way to the end. But he keeps working as long as you keep following in his way. And uh, that's the beauty of these stories, I think, and so many others, but especially these, really bring that to us. And we need to believe in that and uh, be excited about that. It's amazing that Jesus is the great physician. That's it. And you think about uh, being a doctor. Um, doctors help sick people. But they, they only help the sick people that come to them, yep. you know. Yep. And there's, this, there's an element to that in the, even in the gospel. you got to come to Jesus in order to receive it. What's amazing about and what I think makes Jesus the great physician right. is that he's not a doctor who's, who, who's sitting in his office out there like, hey, you you got to come all the way up to me up in heaven and experience this. No, this is the great physician. He came down to us. He came down out of heaven to earth. And when he went to the cross... Uh, and, and suffered and died, he showed that there's no person that he does not desire to help, that he does not, that he is not, that he is unwilling to reach out and touch and cleanse. And, and so we can have full confidence that no matter how wicked we've been, no matter how far uh, we've gone from him, no matter how deep the, the, the pit of sin um, that we've been caught up in, 
if we'll reach out to Jesus, he will reach out to us and, and, and extend his healing hand. That's it. If we can help you with that, if we help you get closer to Jesus or know what you need to know so that you can come follow Jesus, let us know. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you guys next time. Thanks, everybody. The aim of The Way BK is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ across Brooklyn and beyond. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.thewaybk.com.